back for the first time in a couple weeks uh, to preview UFC 255. Big pay-per-view, big card this weekend. Mike, how are you feeling about this card? Pretty good, Dan. We've, we've got a pay-per-view finally, a solid card. Uh, good number of fights. Fingers crossed we, we get uh, as many as possible to the to the arena and to the ring uh, and actually you know play some DFS instead of 1v1s. I will say uh, last week I had no intentions of playing the card. Uh, and then at the last minute, just with all the late fight cancellations, I'm thinking, all right, so there are going to be a lot of people that aren't aware of these cancellations, and they're going to be rostering fight guys that are not on the card now. And so I threw about three lineups together, and I managed to get about 250% ROI. So I was more than happy just nice. using like the the immediate updates that you offered in the playbook. Uh, but we yeah, got. I, I had the nuts going into the main event, but I had Felder. Uh, all right. Well, we turn our attention to UFC 255. In Vegas, uh, two championship fights, so let's just dive right in. Main event, Devison Figueredo, 9,000 versus Alex Perez at 7,200, the UFC flyweight championship. Uh, Figueredo is a minus 280 favorite. He's 8-1 in the UFC. He's riding a four-fight winning streak. Uh, he's won his last three fights inside the first two rounds. In general, he's just proven to finish most of his fights. Um, <clears throat> but if you look at the statistics in terms of, like, uh, I guess – Significant strikes landed per minute, strikes absorbed per minute. You know, everything probably favors Perez a little bit. I'm not really reading into that too much. It's normally a big component of when I kind of preview fights and, and break them down before I let you break down the fight. Um, Perez is coming off a win over uh, Juicy A. Formiga at UFC 250. Uh, he can also win inside the distance as well, and he makes for a nice GPP play and a good salary saver. A lot of times when you get a five-round main event fight, you'll you'll target the, the cheaper guy. Um, just for the potential volume with a five-round fight. You know, I'm not discounting or, or counting him out by any means. Uh, I'm leaning Figueredo in this one. It just means a little easy. Um, but obviously, you know, I'll ask for your take, and do you think this is stackable in cash? So to, to get to a couple of your points there, uh, the stats, yes. Uh, two things on that front. Figueredo, in general, is not a guy that wants to push hard volume. That's not his game at all. He knows that uh, if he gets you lined up, he's got murderous power, especially at the weight, and that's how he's taking care of most of his opponents. Uh, and then Perez, you know, having good good volume, good stats, he's fought much lesser competition. Uh, so, you know, you have to keep those two things in mind on that front. But, yeah, in a win, Perez would, would be a much better value than Figueredo, uh, obviously accounting for salary, but his his stats, you would presume, are probably going to be in a five-round decision. Um, you know, Perez may be a little bit live for a submission. Uh, he's got some pretty slick submissions, even though Figueredo is uh, pretty pretty skilled in the jiu-jitsu world himself. Uh, a lot of it comes down to, can Perez avoid the big shot long enough to have an effective fight game. Uh, and, you know, what that means is he's got to extend the fight into the third, fourth, and fifth rounds where Figueredo can start to tire. Uh, Perez can use, he's got a very nice leg kick. Uh, we saw him actually win by leg kick knockout in his last fight over Juicier Formiga. Not something you see very often um, in that one. He actually caught him on the kneecap with a really hard kick. And then a minute later with another one right on the kneecap that was probably already busted up and 
Vermiga just went down in, in a heap and and you know basically tapped the strikes. You know, didn't even try to cover up. So uh, the ref stopped it. Uh, the problem with leg kicks against somebody who's who's a dangerous power puncher is it leaves you really open for for the counter punch. You know, the the answer to leg kicks are either you have to be really good at checking them, or you have to hit the person hard enough that they don't want to throw another leg kick. Um, what is uh, what is Figueredo the best at? Throwing really hard overhand rights. Uh, so you know, yeah, he'll probably eat some leg kicks early. But Perez has to be really careful playing that game because that that return right is coming in a hurry and it will definitely ruin your night. Uh, you know, for me, I, I think it's going to be Figueredo who wins the fight. <sighs> Stackable is a tough question because you worried about the lack of volume overall. Yeah, it's like if if he wins, it's not going to be probably a crazy firefight and 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 then be a win. It's going to be like. He either knocked him out, uh, you know, with one shot in the first or second round, and there's no volume on the other side. Or if it does get to the third or fourth round, it's just, you know, he was just not diving in yet, and and then finally saw the opening uh, and and pressed the issue and, and got the knockout. If Perez wins, the other side of it, you know, Figueredo probably isn't going to have enough stats uh, to be a value for his nine K, uh, even through five rounds. So it's it's a tricky stack. The the only appeal would be to get a win out of out of a five round fight. Uh, you know, you could kind of get that same leverage with Perez. Just use him and not use Figueroa because if he loses, you, you maybe get multiple rounds of a guy who can be a little bit busy. Uh, and if he wins, obviously he's the best value on the slate. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Figueroa uh, probably second or third round knockout. Uh, one thing to note, though, is that Figueredo cuts so much weight. So definitely pay attention to weigh-ins um, and make sure that, you know, if he doesn't hit 125, the championship weight, it's not the, the fight won't be off. It just won't be a title fight is usually what they do. As long as he's within a few pounds of the limit, then it just becomes a regular fight. That's actually what happened with his in his first fight with Joe Benavidez, um, you know, and, and Obviously, they had to run that back because of it. And poor Joe B got starched uh, twice in a row. He got he actually got knocked out about four times by Devinson Figueredo in two fights. Not that it matters, but like, so say that were to happen, and it's no longer a title fight. Do they swap this fight with the co-main event since the women's fight would probably they, still be a championship? They could. They'll if they did that, they would have to take it down from a five round to a three round if it's not the main event so maybe they wouldn't maybe they would just leave it as is and say it's still a five round fight we still want it to have the implications of a title and we're just going to run it back either way whoever wins um but hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge all right uh next fight on the card the co-main event valentina shevchenko 9600 versus jennifer maya 6600 for the underdog UFC Women's Flyweight Championship. This is also a five-round fight. This is one of the heaviest price tags we'll ever see for an MMA fighter, unless your name is uh, Hamza Chimeyev. Uh, Shevchenko is a minus-1375 favorite, uh, riding a four-fight winning streak. She's been priced up similarly in her last two fights and hasn't exactly returned value um, with minimal, minimal volume. 
She scores advances, a couple takedowns, uh, but you really need her to finish this fight in the first two rounds if you're hoping to, you know, pay up and like get value on the $9,600 price tag. Uh, uh, on the other side, Jennifer Maya, she beat Joanne Calderwood over three months ago with an arm bar. She's three and two in her last five fights. Uh, tends to let fights go to the card, which is a concern with a lot of the female fights that we see. Uh, in her last five fights, she only has one advance and one takedown. It's, it's fine, but, you know, we don't need her to do too much at 6,600 to return value, but we we need a little bit of volume in some regard. Uh, I know you're worried a little bit about stacking the first fight in cash. Are you stacking this one? My gut says no. No, and you got some of the same problems, like, you know, if if Valentina wins it and it's third, fourth round and there's not a lot of stats behind it, she doesn't hit value and, and neither does her opponent. And you know, if Maya wins, it's probably some kind of fluky thing, uh, like Valentina ripping a knee, throwing a spinning kick or something and, and you know, gets the, the mercy sub. Um, and then, you know, you, you're – you're missing uh, value on the other side. So, yeah, the, the the really wide line is what's driving the price, not her ability to put up huge DraftKings scores. Maya, like you said, kind of a, a slow fighter, a methodical fighter. Valentina's not a big risk taker. You know, she waits for her openings. She's a very smart, calculated fighter. She's that Russian style. Uh, she's deadly, but, you know, she'll... She'll wait around if she has to, and sometime within you know the first four or five rounds, she's probably going to take her opponent out, but often closer to the end of the fight than the beginning of the fight. Um, you know, it's the price tag could actually offer a little opportunity in GPPs because it's it's not an easy week to build. You know, you're you're you don't have a lot of salary savers out there that feel great, so her ownership is going to be an interesting thing. You typically huge favorites like this, you see 50% ownership. Um, that could be 40% with, with a price tag at 9,600 and, and another title fight where, okay, you know, I, I can just, I can feel just as good with Figueredo at 9k as I do with Shevchenko at 9,600. And then I build from there. So I think that's probably going to be the, the predominant mindset, but yeah, my, uh, not really a prayer outside of something fluky. All right. Next fight on the card should be a good one. Mike Perry, 8,200 versus Tim Means, 8,000. It's a welterweight bout. Uh, Perry comes in as a minus 160 favorite, but this is this this has cornerman fight written all over it. Uh, both guys are pretty close in salary. Everybody loves watching Perry fight, mostly because a lot of people hope that he gets knocked out. He's a bit of a loose cannon. He's not a bit of a loose cannon. He is the loose cannon. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't have a corner man. So there's some irony. If this fight does make the corner man video, <laughs> uh, he has a lot of volatility could go out and land a haymaker and knock means out, or this could just easily go to the cards. In which case that would be a nightmare scenario for anyone in GPPs. Um, 85% of Perry's wins have come via knockout or TKO, uh, means will have a four inch height and reach advantage. So I do like that. Uh, he's a little more of a savvy fighter, a little more smart in the cage. Um, I'd be surprised if either guy brought this fight to the ground. It just feels like someone maybe lands a knockout here. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, both guys are coming in with a mixed bag of results. Sure, Perry's coming off a pretty impressive and, and 
dominating win over uh, who was it, Mickey Gall in his last fight. I know he hyped up Gall a little bit, but Barry just straight up dominated him. Um, who do you like in this one? So something I've tried to become better at in my own self reflection in DFS and betting is to look out for my blind spots. People I, I like too much, people I really don't like. And somebody I really don't like is Mike Perry. Uh, I think he's a bad fighter. I think he's not a very smart individual. I don't think he even belongs in the UFC. Um, that was kind of a reason that we got behind Mickey Gall a little bit in, in their fight. And to be honest, in the first round, Mickey Gall was landing on Mike Perry. Um, and, and, you know, it was, we said going into it, we don't like Mickey Gall. We just don't like Mike Perry. Um, and, you know, Mike Perry did style on him throughout the fight, but Gall gassed. He gassed in the first round like he always does. My guess is that he cuts too much weight uh, and doesn't know how to do it right. But um, that fight's in the past, uh, other than showing us that if, if you have some, some reach, not a problem to land on Mike Perry. Tim Means has got plenty of reach. Yep. He is going to piece Mike Perry up on the feet. The issue is Mike Perry can take a beating. Uh, you know, he's, he's only been stopped a handful of times. Uh, it, it, maybe, maybe even just once, uh, Jeff Neal, you know, knocked him out with a head kick and, you know, that was right after a, a three round beating from Vincente Luque or not, a, not even a beating. That was actually a really good fight. Mike Perry, some people thought won that fight. Uh, it was an absolute war. Luque had to take it right down to the wire to win the third round. Um, and, and that one, you know. That one was tough for me because I'm a big Luque supporter and, and I don't like Perry. So um, I was glad Luque got his hand raised there, but it was close. Uh, so is Tim Means going to knock him out? Probably not. Tim Means also has had some some issues getting knocked out himself. Um, you know, he's 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 got some tall man defense, we call it. He's a very you know tall fighter. He stands upright. He throws a lot of strikes, leaves a lot of openings. Uh Mike Perry can still hit, you know, pretty hard. My problem is he couldn't knock a gassed Mickey Gall out. He did wrestle with him a little bit, and that kind of reduced some of his opportunity. But he had Mickey Gall dead to rights. The guy is absolutely exhausted, not defending himself. He still didn't get it done. Um, you know, he's, he's, his last win was before that was Alex Oliveira, and that was kind of a, a wishy-washy fight. Um, he got a split off of Paul Felder because Felder broke an arm in the fight. His last really decent win was back in 2017. You know, those, those were his knockout days when he was fighting the lower parts of the division. So I think he gets overrated as a power puncher. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm not terrified that he knocks out Tim Means. It is a concern for, for me as somebody who's going to back Tim Means the, this weekend. But I, <laughs> honestly, I, I think it, my read on the fight is that Means is a very smart fighter. He does have a good ground game and some decent wrestling. Uh, the last time we saw him utilize it was against Tiago Alves, a guy that is a nasty kickboxer with nasty leg kicks. So tall dude going into that fight. Okay, I don't want to eat a bunch of leg kicks and have to, you know, go three rounds with this guy, Alves, who's a, who's an MMA legend. Let me just submit him real quick. And he did, you know, two and a half minutes into the first round. I'm hoping we see that because Perry, even though he wrestled Mickey Gall, Mickey Gall doesn't have good wrestling. He's just got good submissions. Uh, and, and he doesn't have good submissions off his back, 
he's got good submissions by taking his opponents back. You know, he's got long limbs, uh, rear naked chokes and such. So I don't, I don't think Perry is going to be finding the wrestling as easy going against a really good, well-rounded fighter. And, and Tim means, uh, you know, means is a consummate professional, been around a long time. I think means has got the path to submit Mike Perry. Cause we've seen it happen. Uh, Donald Cerrone submitted Mike Perry in a heartbeat because Perry tried to wrestle him. And he was like, no, you're not a wrestler. <laughs> Here, here's, here's a triangle joke. I think it was a triangle joke. Um, you know, so it, it, it went down pretty quick uh, and went south pretty quick for Perry. You know, just, just not having a corner man, not training with a camp. It's really hard to beat a guy that's a professional like Tim Means outside of can you land the, the one bomb and, and knock him out. Possible, but for the price, I don't like it. I'll take Tim Means uh, at plus money and... and just hold my breath for, for hopefully, uh, you know, 15 minutes or, or a submission by Tim Means. All right. I love it. Uh, next fight on the card is Cynthia Cavillo, uh, 8,700 versus Caitlin Chikagian, 7,500. It's a woman's flyweight bout. Cavillo is entering as a minus 270 favorite, and that should come as absolutely no surprise. Uh, Chikagian is going to have the height and the reach advantage, which I normally like. However, I have seen Caitlin Chikagian fight uh, plenty of times. <laughs> And I just feel like Cavio could easily win this fight a few different ways. Um, aside from Shikagian's dominant fight against Antonina Shevchenko, who we will talk about later in this podcast, uh, we don't really see her take fights to the ground. Uh, I want to say in her last three or four fights in the UFC, I think all her takedowns and all her advances were against Antonina Shevchenko, who is by far light years behind her sister Valentina in terms of quality of oh. fighter. Uh, Cavio can get this to the ground and we expect that she'll certainly do that again in this fight. She has seven takedowns and 15 advances in her last two fights. For me, uh, 8,700 honestly doesn't feel like a terrible price tag to pay for Cynthia Cavio. I mean, I, if, if I were building 20 lineups, I'd probably put her in eight or nine of them. And that's at the bare minimum. Like I feel very good that she can win this inside the distance. Inside the distance could be a challenge because Chuk is, even though, you know, Jessica Andrade took care of her pretty convincingly, she's usually pretty good at getting to the to scorecards. Um, and Cavillo, you know, not not a big finisher. She's got good jiu-jitsu. Um, but that was down at, at, a, at a lower weight class where she was able to bully people a little more. Uh Chuk also has, I think, a brown belt. Like, she's worked her jiu-jitsu. But her, her big flaw is that she's got, you know, just average wrestling defense. And that's what Cavillo is probably going to focus on, especially, you know, this being a three-round fight. You, you don't want to mix it up on the feet with a kickboxer that has range and has won all of her fights just by staying at range uh, and, and kickboxing. So, um, you know, we've seen Chukagin be taken down in almost every fight. Cavillo probably wins this one, 29-28. I'm on board with, with, with the price tag. There is a little bit of risk, like, Chuk just has to win two of the rounds, and that's kind of her thing is, like, she'll run away, run away, run away, okay, win a round. Maybe lose a round, run away, run away, win a round. Um, it's, it's her style. Uh, the thing that does worry me with Chukagian, though, is we saw her take the Andrade fight, Um as Andrade's move up to 125, 
nobody wants to fight Jessica Andrade, and Chukagian kind of knows that she's got one foot out of MMA. She just got married. She's talked about having a baby. So she takes the Andrade fight. You know, maybe the UFC slips her some some under-the-table money, makes it worthwhile. Gets body shot at which, you know, anybody can get knocked out by a body shot. Uh, turns right around here and is getting back in with another up-and-coming fighter. It seems to me like she's cashing a check. Um, not that she doesn't show up to fight, but it's like, you know, she's going to be happy to make her money again in a short turnaround. If she loses the fight, it's not going to be too much sweat uh, off of her. And, you know, Cavillo is, is the up-and-comer in the division. She's she's the one who's angling for a title fight. This would put her either right there in contention for an eliminator or the next title shot. So Cavillo probably wins. She would need wrestling volume, I think, to hit value, which is not out of the question, uh, given that Chukagian can get taken down. Um, you know, but it's it's close. She, she typically gets two or three takedowns in, in a fight. Um, she probably needs more like four all right good stuff good stuff uh next fight on the card paul craig 8500 versus mauricio shogun hua 7700 light heavyweight bout battle of the birthday boys here uh shogun turns 39 next week uh i think next wednesday and craig turns 33 on uh next friday craig enters as a minus 170 favorite so one of these guys is going to enjoy their birthday a lot uh, this fight seems pretty straightforward. I'm guessing Shogun would prefer to keep this on the feet, while Craig, I don't think he's necessarily afraid to keep it on the feet, but I'm guessing he probably tries to get this to the ground. Uh, neither fighter has elite takedown defense, but I feel like Craig is probably looking for a submission win. Uh, but I almost prefer the value with Shogun here, um, but I under- understand the risk with playing him because he is getting a little long in the tooth. Long in the tooth, and the the physical skills have entirely eroded. This is actually a rematch. They fought each other uh, back at the end of 2019 in just such an unnotable draw. <laughs> it's It was disgusting. Uh, you know, anytime Paul Craig can be lined as the favorite, you, you need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what am I doing here? Why, why am I still fighting? Um, and I guess Hua figures he, he just took care of... Um, Nogueira and his farewell fight. You know, let me go out here and avenge this this draw uh, that I had on my on my record, blemishing it. And that's probably going to be his last UFC fight. Um, you know, don't don't ever bet Paul Craig unless he's a huge underdog. Uh, and if you do, you do it by submission. Never bet him as a favorite. Um, you know, like you said, it's it's who is probably not going to let this fight stay on the ground very long if it got there. Craig doesn't really have the wrestling to get it there. It's going to be an ugly striking affair because Paul Craig really can't he can't enforce his will on the feet. Like he's got some okay kicks and that's about it. Hua, you know, would like to counterpunch, um, but Craig doesn't really give you that opportunity. Uh, I'm going to stay away from it for the most part, except maybe some Shogun sprinkled in because. Paul Craig can be knocked out fairly easily. He's a, he's a tough dude, but he's just been knocked out a bunch. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the weight, their guys are just dangerous, and he's a guy that ends up in really bad spots. He gets put on the mat a lot, and you know, starts eating punches and can't really get himself back up. So you know, he's some shogun here and there. I would not bet this fight, uh, even if it was you know with somebody else's bankroll. 
All right. I do feel like that you're you might be on par with the analysis of Paul Craig because basically what you said about him now is it's kind of how we felt about him last fight in his last fight against Antigulov. I think that was in the summer. Um, but you know, he, he got a first round submission in that one, but uh I, I guess I kind of see the concern with Craig. Yeah, that was that was Antigulov basically just laying in, in Paul Craig's guard because yeah. he he doesn't have a, he doesn't have two legs to stand on. So once he got right. the fight to the mat. He was not going to stand back up. It was either I'm going to finish this guy or he's going to submit me with a triangle that he just sat in for about 30 seconds too long. Right. Uh, move on to the next fight. Battle of the Brandons with Brandon Marino against 8,600 versus Brandon Royval, 7,600. It's a flyweight bout. Marino enters as a minus 175 favorite. Uh, Marino is two inches shorter, but he'll have a two-inch reach advantage with his ridiculously long arms. Uh Issue is that he loves getting fights uh, or letting fights go the distance. His last five fights in the UFC have all gone to the cards. Luckily, we have uh, Brandon Royval on the other side of this fight, who is the discounted fighter, uh, who has two second-round submission victories on his resume in the UFC. He doesn't land a ton of volume on his feet, just 1.93 significant minute. He does tout a 100% takedown accuracy in the UFC, so if he picks his spot right, he's not a ton, he doesn't strike me as the guy that's going to go out there and and go for a quantity of takedowns but he does he does kind of pick his spot and wait for like the right moment to get his opponent to the ground uh i'll be lighter on moreno in the hopes that royval can somehow land a submission in this one other than that i think i might be a little bit concerned about the volume of this fight and i don't think i'll have a ton of exposure to it what says you i'm gonna disagree with you there uh perfect royval uh <laughs> He's he's like the 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 the, the flyweight Brandon Allen. Like he just wants to make the fight chaos and go as fast as he can. And he doesn't have very good striking defense. He doesn't have very good defensive wrestling. But he's just you know he thrives in the chaos and he's managed to string some wins together here and, and he's moving up in the division. The problem with that style is it's going to bite you in the ass sooner or later. We saw it happen with Brandon Allen last week or two weeks ago. Um, you know, Brandon Moreno, I don't know if he's the guy to do that, um, but he is a very tough dude. He's Mexican. Uh, you know, they have renowned chins, Mexican fighters. So I don't think Roy Val's probably knocking him out. Moreno's been in there with some pretty slick submission artists, Juicy A. Formiga. Uh, Askar Askarov, um, Alexander Pantoja. These are the best submission artists in the division, and they were not able to submit him. So is Brandon Royval, you know, a lock to submit him? Not at all. You know, can he do it in a crazy scramble? Yes. Um, you know, we, we saw Royval take Kai Kara France into the deep waters that uh, nobody's really been able to take Kara France into because Kara France is super quick super calculated and, and just a really tight striker. And, and you know, Roy Val turned that fight into just an absolute uh, barn burner. And, and Kara France was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this guy. Like, he's all over me. I think Moreno is going to be ready for that. And I, and I think why Moreno wins the fight is he's, a, he's really built up his wrestling. So I think when he gets in trouble, he's going to be able to take Roy Val down. He's going to be able to control him from the top. I think he's careful enough not to get triangled or armbarred. It's a risk, but uh, I think he's able to, to keep it there. I actually think Moreno might be a little bit live inside the distance. And, uh, let me see if I have a number on that. Uh, Moreno. Moreno is minus 185 
to win the fight inside the distance. Uh, he is plus 280. That's a really nice number for a guy that probably wins the fight. You know, they, they think he's a decision machine, but Roy Val puts himself in such bad spots. Um, I'd be happy to take a dart on that and probably will. Uh, so um, I think both guys are great for DraftKings. You want to target this fight pretty heavily. And I think there's a lot of wrestling, a lot of back and forth striking. If Roy Val's style is, you know, I don't see it changing coming into this fight. Maybe he employs a different game plan, but, you know, it's got him here, so I don't think he alters it. All right. So the last couple of fights we've had some different reads on. I'm pretty sure we might have the same read on the next fight. We've got Joaquin <laughs> Buckley at 8,900 versus Jordan Wright at 7,300. It's a middleweight bout. Buckley enters as a minus 240 favorite, and we are going to see the highlight of Buckley's spinning back kick knockout of Impa Kassanjane over and over and over and over and over on Saturday. Very impressive knockout, but let's not get wrapped up in a very fluky leg kick that I would probably say 99 out of 100 times it doesn't land. Uh, still a lot of unknown factors with these two. I wish Buckley was a couple hundred. I wish he was more like 84 or 8,500. 8,900 for a guy with, I want to say, what does he have, like a contender series fight and then the fight against Kassanjane? Just seems like it's a tough yeah. pill to swallow. Uh, Jordan Wright is undefeated in his career. He's got some nice length, uh, but he's moving down to middleweight from light heavyweight. There are just a lot of moving pieces in this fight that we don't know the logistics of or we, we just don't have... I guess an ironclad read. Um, so I guess uh, if we're, we're going to agree on a fight, it's possibly one where we just don't know anything about it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a slight different uh, difference of opinion again here. Um, Why? Uh, <laughs> so Jordan Wright is basically garbage. <laughs> he's isn't he's he? Not a, don't they call him like the Hollywood Ninja or, or the Beverly Hills? Beverly Hills Ninja. Ninja. So yeah, that one. He, he ran up an undefeated record with. A bunch of tin cans. You know, he's fighting in, in Alaska FC, uh, XFC, Gladiator Challenge. You know, these are these are guys that are one and two, zero oh and zero. Oh. He's got an zero oh and ten on his record, an zero oh and twenty one on his record. Like, literally, people that you know they show up to fight that night. Like, they they don't train. They're just a guy that's there uh, to keep a, uh, somebody busy. He gets to Dana White's contender series, and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez just smokes him. Drops him right away with a nasty knockout. Um, it's the first real guy he's had to fight. So he goes back down to LFA. He fights Gabriel Checo, who's a legit BJJ um, specialist, but no striking, no gas tank, and just, you know, after the first round is cooked. Um, so, you know, that win uh, got him, you know, back to... So he's technically undefeated because the Hernandez loss got overturned. Hernandez popped for marijuana. Uh, that in my book is not a reason to overturn a fight, but uh, <laughs> it is, uh, especially a knockout. Like once in a while you see a guy eat like crazy punishment and, and pop and you're like, Oh, well maybe he was just feeling so relaxed that he didn't get knocked out. <laughs> this is one where the dude knocked you out. So that wasn't helping him at all. Um, but then he gets, you know, he gets called up here in pandemic days uh, back in August to fight Ike Villanueva, the, you know, who was a late replacement. They're trying to do Villanueva a favor Villanueva is just so garbage that he gets, you know, uh, he eats some punches. He gets a cut. It's a doctor stoppage. Hard to say it was a bad stoppage. It was a nasty cut. But, like, uh, you know, it's just it's just like another can. Um, 
Joaquin Buckley, not a tin can. Dude, uh, obviously comes to he's bat. A big boy. Like he's pretty beefed up. Yeah, he's he's very thick. He's not very tall for the weight class, but he's thick. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, so the whole thing with him is he's never really had like a dedicated team. You know, he's never stayed at like a camp. Um, he's kind of bounced around um, and, and done his own thing when, when he's trained, and that got him into the UFC. So like. He showed against Kevin Holland. He's not – It's not that he definitely belongs. You know, Kevin Holland kind of toyed with him, but, like, Kevin Holland had some moments where he ate some punches, and, and you know, we know Kevin Holland's got a chin on him because of that. Um, and then Impa Kasagane is another guy that's an up-and-comer and was probably getting the better of Impa up until that knockout. Um, and, obviously, you know, crazy knockout. Uh, the, thing about, the thing about Buckley is that he throws everything with – 100% power. Uh, he wants to knock you out with every strike. He was able to carry his endurance doing that against Kevin Holland into the third round. You know, he looked tired, but he was still winging these bombs. Jordan Wright, you know, just has no path to win. Uh, it, it, maybe, maybe another cut stoppage, like maybe a submission if he were able to get on, on uh, Buckley's back. But he's going to get hit by one of these Buckley punches that's just going to explode his dome, and it'll be over probably in the first round. Literally, the, the drawback to Buckley, I think, is that he knocks him out so quickly that it's going to be like a 96-point effort with you know the 90-point bonus. Um, maybe not a knockdown. You know, He needs the knockdown to break 100 points. And the, the scoring— But if that's the case, are you okay with Buckley and Cash? Yeah, totally fine with Buckley and Cash. No, you know, like I said, it's very little concern there. Um, I, I don't, I don't bet offshore books books very often, but one of them opened uh, Buckley at minus one seventy five, um, and that was like, okay, I got, I got to get some cash over there <laughs> into that book because uh, that is a line you have to take advantage of. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident in Buckley. All right, we'll move on to the next fight. Uh, Antonina Shevchenko, 8,400 versus Ariane Lipsky, 7,800. It's a woman's flyweight bout. Seems like every woman's bout on this card is a flyweight. Yeah, they only have like three divisions. Uh, regardless, uh, Antonina is a minus 160 favorite. I don't know why. Uh, we know she's a lesser fighter than Valentina. So, but is this fight in her wheelhouse? I mean, We've seen her struggle struggle to return value. Uh, even though this is her cheapest price tag yet, I'm still I'm still not sold. Uh, we don't know a ton about Ariane Lipsky aside from her early win over uh, Luana Carolina about four months ago. Um, she's two and two in the UFC. Her other three fights have all gone to decision. Um, I know I'm. I don't know, man. I, I I try to. I'm trying to. I try to approach every card and every DFS slate. With a clean slate on a lot of fighters, uh, but Antonina Shevchenko, just knowing how, f I I just look back at the fight against uh, Caitlin Chikagian uh, earlier during quarantine, and it she just got her ass kicked, uh, yeah. and I just don't think she's she's good at all. I don't understand how she's priced at eighty four hundred. Uh, it's based on the odds, and I guess enough people don't realize that there's two Shevchenkos on your betting card and are clicking the wrong one. <laughs> so be, be careful if you're playing DraftKings or if you're betting this weekend and you see a line that seems too good to be true. Uh, if it were Valentina, there'd be another zero behind that minus 160. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Shevchenko, she's a she's a Muay Thai kickboxer. Uh, dishes and machine. She doesn't really knock very many people out. You know, she she managed to somehow pull off a sub of Lucy Pudilova, who is just somebody that shoots themselves in the foot every time they get into the cage. Um, you saw Caitlin Chikagian, somebody who's not at all known for wrestling, just dominate her. It's hard to say. Was was that as a surprise to her? Like, you know, she was ready for this this range kickboxing bout. And all of a sudden, this person comes with a completely different game plan. Maybe, but um, you know, you 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 got to have some natural ability to stuff some wrestling, and she does not. Uh, she lost to um, Roxy Modafferi in Russia. She lost a decision in Russia. <laughs> you know, as a Russian favorite, it, that's that's hard to do. Um, Roxy Modafferi just came in there and and you know, uh, outgridded her, out wrestled her. Um, you know, so. She's she's just not a good fighter. Lipsky, moderate interest from a GPP standpoint because she got mismatched coming into the UFC. Joanne Calderwood, that was just a mean thing for the UFC to do in her debut. I don't I don't know how that happened. Um, then Molly McCann again, like Molly McCann is garbage, but she's tough and she'll keep going. You know, they finally get her on track uh, by they scheduled her to fight. Priscilla Cachoeira, who dropped out, and then Veronica Macedo, who dropped out. Finally, Isabella de Padua, who was just a warm body. She had a pretty boring decision over de Padua. Her last fight against Luana Carolina, though, a pretty raw fighter herself, Carolina. But yeah, she's got some length and some dangerous striking. Just grabs a hold of her knee from the top and basically bent it until it broke. Um, it was it was savage. So Gross. that has me liking Ariana Lipsky a little bit. I'm like, you know what? If if you've got that in you to just knee bar from the top in a crazy position and pull that off, like at some point, I think she grabs hold of Antonina, gets her on the mat, and submits her. Um, that's that's probably her path to victory. If it happens in the first or second round, she's a DraftKings value. I love it. We're finally in agreement. Uh, next fight on the card, we've got Daniel Rodriguez, 9,100 versus Nicholas Dalby at 7,100. This is a welterweight bout. Rodriguez is a pretty stout minus 335 favorite to win. He's 3-0 and in the UFC. He's returned over 100 points on DraftKings in each fight. Uh, he's been pretty busy in 2020 as this is now his fourth fight of the year, dating all the way back to February. He's won, decision, he's won via decision, uh, knockout or TKO, and submission. So he He's, he can kind of do it all. Um, his statistical profile is actually really funny. He lands 9.48 significant strikes per minute. He absorbs over 11 per minute. Uh, just wild numbers there. On the flip side, knowing how much volume Rodriguez throws and how much he takes, does this interest you in Dalby as a cheap play in GPPs? He's 1-1 one one in the UFC. He's coming off a first-round loss to Jesse Ronson back in July. Uh it feels like this is a layup for Rodriguez, but just knowing how much he likes to swing and how much he can get hit, I kind of want a little exposure to Dalby. Uh, maybe if you're building a lot of lineups. The problem, so this is Dalby's second run in the UFC. He's one and one. Um, the Ronson loss just got turned into a no contest because Ronson tested positive for a steroid. But, um, you know, people. People were looking at that like, wow, Ronson looked like really big. And, you know, I guess there was there was a reason to that. Um, tough for him. He was he was a guy that had been dying to get his shot in the UFC. Uh, but they don't seem to worry about positive drug tests too much. So hopefully he gets another go. Um, 
But Dalby, yeah, you know, he was the guy that uh, was kind of a wild man in his first go around. You know, he's, he's this Viking warrior gets into some some you know pretty epic fights. Um, washes out of the UFC and MMA uh, due to alcoholism. Gets himself back on the right track. Puts together some wins in Cage Warriors. Um, the UFC is heading to Denmark, his home country. So they put him on the card. Uh, it's his return. It's a great story. He beats Alex Oliveira in a close but you know solid fight. Then loses to Ronson. Now he's got Daniel Rodriguez. Um, guy, like you said, been very busy. Rodriguez came to MMA a little bit older, or I guess professional MMA a little bit older, uh, but uh, I think the dude's probably always been a fighter. <laughs> uh, he's a tough cat and um, well-rounded. He can he can wrestle a little bit. He's got good striking, good volume. Um, I guess he does get hit a lot, uh, but you know he was in there with Tim Means in his debut and made that look fairly easy uh, once he got going. His follow-up, Gabe Green, not quite as smooth of a fight. Ate a lot of shots from Green, but, um, you know, just showed crazy endurance to keep that volume going to, to the end of 15 minutes of an epic fight. And then his fight with Dwight Grant, he was very close to losing that fight. That one was, they were throwing down, and he was hurt. Came back and managed to take Grant out. Um, huge come from behind win. Won me a little money on DraftKings, so... Uh, uh, old D-Rod is good in my books. Um, but yeah, coming into the Dolby fight, the only risk I think with D-Rod is that Dolby can fight a little tight these days. Um, maybe wrestle a little bit and slow things down. Dolby's path would probably have to be winning by submission. I don't think he's knocking out D-Rod. Um, I think D-Rod probably wins this one by knockout. Second round would be my guess. All right. Love it. Move on to the next fight on the card. These, these, Early prelim cards were very hard for me to, uh, I guess, break down or get notes on. Uh, this next fight is very interesting for me, not really from an MMA perspective, just because I really like one guy over the other. Uh, Alan Juban, 8,300 versus Jared Gooden, 7,900. It's a welterweight bout. Juban is minus 150 to win the fight. He's a pretty boy. He's a professional model. He had deals with Versace. He appeared in a commercial with Gigi Hadid. Very handsome guy. I'm not going to take that away from him. Uh, apparently, he's looking to get his face rearranged, though he's coming off an 18-month hiatus, so ring rust is a concern of mine. Jared Gooden is making his UFC debut. Uh, he's coming from, I guess, OK Promotions. He's from my neck of the woods in Atlanta, and we have the same birthday next month. So I'm all in on him for that fact alone. He's got a handful of wins inside the distance, but granted, these are other promotions um, you know, he's been winning or losing more recently in the first two rounds. This is another, this, this strikes me as a bit of a quarterman esque fight, just because we have a guy making his debut. We have a professional model coming off an 18 month hiatus. I'm really curious to see what you have to say about this fight. I'll, I'll give Juban credit back in the day. He was legit. You know, he was a dangerous striker, great athlete. Yeah. The modeling was, was a big part of it for him, but, uh, you know, like you said, he's got some ring rust here that he's going to have to deal with. Uh, he he, we had to deal with that in his last fight as well. I believe he had surgery for something, some either a nerve issue or a back issue or something. Um, so he he had taken a year off before getting back in his decision split decision loss to Dwight Grant in in twenty nineteen early twenty nineteen. Um, you know, he's thirty eight. He's he's 
doing a, a lot of work outside of the cage. You mentioned the modeling. He's also uh, on doing some some of the the broadcast work. Um, you know, so the UFC is keeping him busy that way. You know, in the fight with Dwight Grant, he just looked tentative. He he ate a couple of shots from Grant, who's not a very busy fighter, and he just looked like, you know what, I, I don't want to go there. I, I've been down that road. Um, you know, he lost to Gunnar Nelson back in 2017. Pretty decent knockout after, I guess it's it technically a guillotine choke. Um, Gunnar Nelson had him on the mat and and locked it in after knocking him out with knocking him down with a head kick. Then he comes right back to to fight Nico Price uh, and eats a nasty head kick, just like a head kick that you have a hard time recovering from. And his chin probably hasn't been the same since. Um, he's fought Ben Saunders and Dwight Grant, nowhere near the competition level of Gunnar Nelson and Nico Price. So I think he knows where he's at. Um, he's taken this fight against a newcomer, hoping he can teach him a vet lesson. It's possible. You know, nope. Gooden, Gooden's fought deep. <laughs> Gooden's fought decent competition. I think the issue for Gooden, is, there's two things he's going to have to check the boxes on. Number one, he's going to have to show he's got the gas tank in the UFC under the bright lights. You know, that extra adrenaline just messes with people. Um, but, you know, Gooden, Gooden has 22, 21 professional fights. Probably not a huge worry. He's fought some decent people. Yeah, this isn't going to be something that uh, his nerves are going to be crazy high on uh, more than any other fighter. But then uh, he's got some defensive liabilities. Juban was dangerous back in the day before those nasty knockouts and the time off and all that. So, you know, there, there is – it's not without risk. Uh, people have bet um, Juban uh, up to be the favorite. Uh, he's currently minus uh, 150. You know, it was a, a pick I believe, when it opened. So, um, you know, people are, people are staying out. We'll take the veteran. I'm guessing a big part of that's name recognition – Probably. Uh, so, you know, Gooden, uh, you can get plus money on. You got a nice DraftKings price tag. I'm going to use them. Um, I, you know, it, it's tough to feel super confident in. And, you know, these days it's a lot of sharp players in, in the in the D, DFS world with MMA. So I don't think he's going to be flying under too many people's radars. But his ownership will probably be low 30s. So a nice spot to have a little bit of leverage for a guy that's 7,900. Okay, good stuff as always. Uh, next fight, uh, two fights to go. Kyle Daukus, 8,800 versus Dustin Stoltzfus. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. 7,400, it's a middleweight bout. Uh, part of me is a little surprised that Daukus is a minus 320 favorite. So that kind of tells me that the UFC is really trying to get him a win here. Um, I don't know. I personally don't know a lot about either fighter. I know Dalkis scored a contender series win over Michael Lombardo in June of 2019, but he didn't make his UFC debut until a year later this past summer when he lost to Brandon Allen. Uh, but he will have a four inch height, height advantage over Stoltzfus in this one. Uh, Stoltzfus is 13 and one in his professional career, running a 10 fight winning streak, including a first round victory over Joseph Pfeiffer in uh, the contender series in August. But that, was kind of a, a weird win because Piper suffered an arm injury in the first round. Either way, it's a win for Stoltzfus. Uh, he does offer submission upside, so I'd like that for a guy that's priced down to 7400 Not ruling out either fighter here. I'm just hoping that you can maybe talk me onto one of these guys more than the other. <laughs> the challenge, that, like you mentioned, is the, the, the line and the price tags. Like, I would pick Kyle Daukas to win this fight. Uh, if you're going to ask me to bet him at the current odds, I don't want to do that. 
the DraftKings price tag, you know, eighty-eight hundred. That's getting up there. Again, not a, not a card. You got a lot of salary to throw around. Um, the concern with Dalkus for me is, you know, you, you mentioned his contender series win. That was against a guy in Lombardi that was fighting up a weight class. It happens a lot on the contender series. The UFC needs a body. They they give you a call. You say, well, you know what? I just won't cut weight, and and I will fight a person much much larger than me. And you see that a lot of a lot of Dowskis's opponents, you know, have that similar theme. They're guys that are fighting up a weight class, or you know, it's the it's the lower um, regional scene where guys just don't cut weight because it's not their full time profession. Um, but all that said, he came in and gave a beautiful uh, acquittal of himself against Brendan Allen because Brendan Allen laid it on him early, and and he weathered the storm and gave it back. Uh, Brendan Allen didn't think he was going to fight again for, for the rest of the year after that loss. Cause he took so much punishment. Um, you know, doubt is, he's got some good raw ability uh, in the striking game. He's got dangerous submissions, um, size advantage uh, again here. So I think he's got a lot of positives to, to get a win to possibly score. Well, but the other thing I worry about is, is his brother, Chris, uh, his, you know, got two real nice heavyweight wins in the UFC. You know, they came, they both kind of came in at the same time here. So you kind of get that buzz, and, and that's maybe driving the betting line a little bit too, which is driving the DraftKings price. So, yeah, it's inflated a little bit, and, and the ownership could be high because people recognize the Dalkus name from his brother fighting recently and chase it. So it's a spot you got to be a little careful. And Stolfus, he is a wrestler. He, he could just grind this up for for. for two out of the three rounds and uh, leave Dalkus scrambling for a finish. So not without risk. All right. Uh, first fight on the car. Last fight we preview. Uh, Louis Koch, uh, 9,300 versus Sasha Palatnikov, 6,900. Welterweight bout. Uh, Kosha is a minus 450 favorite. Both fighters making their UFC debuts. Uh, Kosha did score a win in his contender series debut about three months ago with an impressive hook that led to some ground and pound. He's 7-0 in his career. He just turned 25, so he's pretty young. Uh, Palatnikov is coming off some... He's, he's mostly fought at the UAE Warriors overseas. He's 5-2. Might have a size advantage as he'll be four inches taller than Kosha, but Kosha's arms are actually pretty long, uh, so he can tag him pretty well. Uh but for two guys making their debuts, I don't know a ton about these guys, and I kind of I normally love targeting the opening bout. I don't think I want to do it here. Yeah, I haven't taped this one yet, so you know I, I've got the peripheral storylines. Uh, Kosha, you know he's he's a guy that's gotten it done in a hurry in all of his fights, all round one wins. You know, eight seconds, eighteen seconds. 18 seconds, a minute 19 uh, on the contender series, a minute 20, a minute 12. You don't, we don't know a lot about him. You know, he, he's, he's got seven fights uh, and we haven't seen him really tested. Now the guy he beat on the contender series, uh, Victor Reyna is actually a decent prospect. Uh, he came in as a slight underdog to, to Reyna and, and still knocked him out in a hurry. Reyna's actually got a, a win over Daniel Rodriguez, a guy we just talked about. Um, and, and they put Reyna on the contender series twice, and he's, he's lost twice, unfortunately for him. Um, so, you know, I, I think that says a little bit about Kosh, and, and that's why he's coming in as the favorite here. Uh, Polishnikov, we don't know a lot about either. Um, 
he's uh, basically his story is he fought Manir Lazez, uh, the guy, if you remember, that gave uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan a, a, a rude welcome back to the UFC in a Fight Island card a little while ago. Um, a, a solid fighter. Uh, knocks him out in the first round. I believe he shredded his knee, Politnikov, and takes some time off. Moves to Las Vegas and gets a warm-up fight uh, against Paulo Enrique, guy who's, you know, pretty pretty meh. But you're in Vegas. You're training. You're in a camp that has UFC connections. They're going to hook you up with a fight these days. <laughs> you know, are you... Do, do you have some experience in professional MMA? Are you not currently signed, and are you currently training? Those are the boxes you need to check, uh, and he checks them. So, um, you know, he looks like he's in good shape. Uh, looks like he could be a dangerous dude. Let's let's see what we got. Um, you know, hopefully it's a fun fight. Uh, I think it's probably going to be a striking affair. Um, you know, could could end early. So, like you said, it's it's tough to know who's going to win this one. Uh, you might want to target it if you're in GPPs um, just because the ownership probably stays fairly suppressed. You know, Koshi's price tag is prohibitive. Kalitnikov, um, you don't really like the, uh, you know, the, the taking that big of a shot at the beginning of your card for a lot of people. So, you know, I would say Kalitnikov is probably 20-ish percent owned. Koshi is probably 35-ish percent owned. Both of those are decent numbers if, if, uh, you know, one of these guys scores 100 points to, to go off at. All right. All right. I kind of. All right. I see. I get it. All right. You talk me on to at least coach. Um, but yeah, that's up, probably the one you want to use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrapping it up, who are your favorite cash plays on the slate and who are your favorite values for GPPs? So without stacking, you know, I'd say Figueredo Perez. I think the one thing we could agree on, because we had a few disagreements just on our own uh, analyses of the fights, is that we don't really read either championship fight as a good stack. Yeah, and the only thing I would say is that when you when you think about stacking, you got to kind of think of it like uh, you know a game of hold'em. So you're you're playing your opponent, not just your cards. So chances are somebody's going to stack one of these two fights. It's probably going to be this one. Maybe you just do it, and then you're gonna, you know, see what you can uh, win either three v three or or two v two the rest of the way. And when we've seen double title fights, a lot of the the odds junkies tend to double stack. Um, I don't see it with this other one, but again, like, you know, maybe you just want to make that call and say, you know, what, we're gonna fight two v two then um, with the last two spots. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I, if I'm going to stack anything, it's going to be the first fight. But again, yeah, not a, not a fight you, I think you have to stack. You can get other fights right. Definitely Joaquin Buckley. I, I don't see how that isn't a knockout in the first or second round for him. Um, Daniel Rodriguez, you know, it's a, it's a tough price tag, but you're going to get volume there. Um, you know, you probably can only use one of those guys, Buckley or Rodriguez. And then if you're saving some salary... Um, you know, you, you got Gooden, not a huge savings, but decent. Going to probably think about him or Tim Means because you're going to get volume out of Tim Means, if anything. Uh, maybe Shogun Hua if, if you're feeling risky. <laughs> um, I don't think he gets 
finished by Paul Craig, so maybe he can win the fight. Maybe he can get a knockout. Uh, and then, you know, after that, you've got the, the likes of Politnikov and Stolfus that are big question marks but aren't going to carry ownership, so you could take a stab with them. Uh, have you taken a look at the vine, or the betting lines uh, at the moment? Like Any any long shot odds that pique your interesting or maybe uh, any prop bets? So um, Tim Means inside the distance is one that I think is interesting. Uh, pull it up here. You got Means inside the distance plus 355. Mike Perry has got a pretty good chin on him, though. So if you want to go all the way up to 775 with means by submission, hey, you know, almost 8-1 to one for something that is probably the only way you can finish Mike Perry uh, with without head-kicking him into oblivion the way Jeff Neal did. <laughs> um, the dude just has a rock for a head, you know, but he's got a neck, and that you can choke. Um, so, you know, I kind of like that. And then um, Moreno inside the distance is the other one we had mentioned. I think it was plus 255. All right, and uh, aside from – actually, you can include the championship best. What fight are you looking forward to the most? Fight I'm looking forward to the most. Perry Means is going to be fun. You know, it's, Yeah, it's, I was thinking that one too just because like, it, it, we're always lo- rooting for Perry to lose. Yeah, yeah, uh, but but prob- <laughs> probably Moreno-Roy Val because the winner of that is in the title picture. Um, they're both up-and-comers, and it's going to be – that's going to be a uh, – Roy Val's fights are wild. It's just – he's – you know, you, you love them for that. So um, right. that'll be a, a one you definitely want to tune in for. All right. Good stuff as always, Mike. Thank you so much for, your, for you and your time. Best of luck this weekend. Uh, we'll be on the lookout for the UFC 255 playbook. I'm guessing it's coming out Friday after Wayne's, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Uh, best of luck to you and best of luck to the FA Nation.